Good evening, everyone. The title of this evening's lesson is A Root of Bitterness. And it is taken from the book of John, chapter 3, and verses 22 through 30. John 3, 22 through 30. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Part of the aim of the writer of the fourth gospel is to ensure that John the Baptist received his proper place as the forerunner of Jesus, but no higher place than that. There were those who were still ready to call John Master and Lord. The writer of the fourth gospel wishes to show that John had a high place, but that the highest place was reserved for Jesus alone. The writer also wishes to show that John himself never had any other idea than that Jesus was supreme. This passage shows us the wonderful humility of John the Baptist. It was clear that men were leaving John for Jesus. John's disciples were worried. They did not like to see their master take second place. They did not like to see him abandoned while the crowds flocked out to hear and see this new teacher. In answer to their complaints, it would have been very easy for John to feel injured, neglected, or unjustifiably forgotten. Sometimes a friend's sympathy can be the worst possible thing for us. It can make us feel sorry for ourselves and encourage us to think that we have not had a fair deal. But John had a mind above that. In this evening's lesson, we will discover four truths. Each truth will give us a better understanding of who John the Baptist was. As we study these four truths, you will see the importance that they played in the life of John the Baptist, and you will also understand that they need to be a major part of our lives as well. Truth number one, verse 27 from our passage this evening. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In this verse, John tells us that no one can receive more than God gives him. If Jesus was gaining more followers, it wasn't because he was taking them from John, but because God was giving them to Jesus. Jesus was being blessed 
with larger crowds because God allowed it to happen. This was the Father's plan. In James chapter 1 and verse 17, we read this concerning God's giving. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Everything given from above is good. These gifts are perfect because they are complete due to the goodness of the giver. The motives which prompt mankind to give liberally may be good, but there is something lacking in the nature of what is given, whether it's the wholeness, the thoroughness, or the completeness of the gift which God can bestow. These good and perfect gifts can only come from God. The motives which prompt such giving as well as the gifts themselves originate not with mankind, who can never approach such high ideals in giving, but with God who is in heaven. All that is good ultimately comes from God, the inexhaustible source of all blessing. For this fact, we should ever be grateful, and we should express and exhibit our gratitude in word and deed daily. Closing out our study of truth number one of the lesson we realize from verse 27 that Jesus could not have enjoyed such widespread success unless the Father had given it. And John's decline could not have occurred unless the Father had willed it. How wonderful it would be if every Church of Christ leader accepted the principle that it is God who gave the increase. All power, ability, talent, intelligence, skill, beauty, everything good and perfect comes from God. What jealousies and bitterness might be avoided if we would only remember that someone else's success is given to them by God and we were ready to accept God's choice and God's decision. John understood that it is God who appoints, raises up, and blesses. No matter how his disciples may have regarded it, there was no feeling of jealousy with him. He had to bear witness of Jesus as the Messiah that was to come, so he would have assured, assured them that what he already knew, what he was and what Jesus was, was given to them from heaven and in accordance with the will of God. Truth number two from verse 28 of our passage. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Here in verse 28, we see why John could be called a man without envy. In John's words to his disciples, we can see that he had never expected anything else other than what had taken place. He reminded his followers that, in fact, he had assured them that his was not the leading place, but that he was merely sent as the herald, the forerunner, and the preparer for the greater one to come. Our lives would be so much easier if more people were prepared to play the subordinate role. So many people seek to be associated with only the great things. John was not like that. He knew well that God had given him a subordinate task. It would save us a lot of resentment and misery if we realized that there are certain things 
which are not for us. What we should learn from John is to accept with all our hearts and do with all our might the work that God has given us to do. To do even a secondary task for God makes it a great task. All service in the church that is done for God is needed and it is so important. In James chapter 3 and verses 13 through 18, we read the following concerning envy. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here James writes a wonderful passage concerning envy and self-seeking. In this passage, James lets us know how awful it is when a person, especially a teacher, preacher or church leader displays envy and self-seeking in their lives. This kind of behavior is not wisdom from above, but it is evil. Godly wisdom is pure, and its behavior bears fruit that produces such things as unity, fellowship, and peace. Bitter envy and self-seeking cause just the opposite, hurt, division, and confusion. Truth number three. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. In this verse, John used a very vivid picture which every Jew would have recognized because it was part of the heritage of the Jewish thought. He called Jesus the bridegroom and himself the friend of the bridegroom. One of the great pictures of the Old Testament is of Israel as the bride or wife of Jehovah and Jehovah as the husband of Israel. The union between God and Israel was so close that it could be likened only to a marriage. When Israel went after strange gods, it was as if she were guilty of infidelity against the marriage bond. In the book of Deuteronomy, we find an example of this in Deuteronomy, chapter 31, and verses 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting, that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Bless you. The New Testament took this picture and changed it as it spoke of the church as the bride of Christ. 
we read in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. However, the church had not been established yet when the events in our lesson this evening took place. The bride here has reference to the spiritual Israel of God, that portion of the Jews which were in fact the spiritual seed of Abraham. Although the spiritual Israel had been intermingled with secular Israel throughout history to that time, the separation was then being made through the means of the baptism preached by John, a separation that would become final at Pentecost and afterward. Jesus had come from God. He was the son of God. Israel was his rightful bride, and he was Israel's bridegroom. But one place John did claim for himself, and that was friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, the Shoshben, had a unique place at a Jewish wedding. He acted as the liaison between the bride and the bridegroom. He arranged the wedding. He sent out the invitations and presided at the wedding feast. He brought the bride and bridegroom together, and he had one special duty. It was his duty to guard the bridal chamber and let no one in except the bridegroom. He would open the door only when in the dark he heard the bridegroom's voice and recognized it. When he heard the bridegroom's voice, he let him in and went away rejoicing, for his task was completed and the couple were together. The Baptist had fulfilled his office in preparing and bringing members of the spiritual Israel, the bride to Christ, the bridegroom. Are we a friend of the bridegroom? Are we bringing the lost to the Savior? Yes, we are members of the church, and so we are a part of the bride. But are we, like John, pointing others to our Lord? As Christians, we need to be telling others about Jesus. Our lives should be the kind that draw others to the Savior. Our task as members of the church is to bring others to Christ. Then we too can say with John, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And finally, truth number four, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew that his task to bring bride and bridegroom together was done. He willingly and gladly faded out of the center of the picture John's task had been to bring Israel and Jesus together to arrange the marriage between Christ the bridegroom and Israel the bride. Having completed that task, John was happy to fade into obscurity. It was not with envy that he said that Jesus must increase and he must decrease, but it was with joy. It may be that sometimes we would do well to remember that it is not to ourselves we must try to attach people but it is to Jesus Christ. It is not for ourselves we seek the loyalty of men. It is for him. The church must be very careful that we do not place men above or equal to Christ. The glory we give belongs only to our Lord. The Apostle Paul denounced such behavior in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 10 through 17. Paul writes, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now, I say this that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. We see here the sinful behavior of the church at Corinth where members had caused division because there were three groups which were glorying in the names of men instead of Christ. Paul moved at once to show how ridiculous the behavior of glorifying human teachers is. In the passage for this evening, we see the wisdom and the humility of John the Baptist. John, the faithful servant of God, would soon be shut up in prison by Herod the Tetrarch. For John had rebuked him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. John would be silenced by the executioner who would be sent to behead him in the prison. In his humility, he declined the honors which an admiring multitude almost forced upon him and declared himself to be no one, a voice merely calling upon the people to prepare for the reception of the one who shoe latchet, he was not worthy to unloose. And when that one came, he recommended his own disciples to attach themselves to him, demonstrating to the world an example of gracefully accepting the fact he must increase, but I must decrease. So you may ask yourselves, what does a root of bitterness have to do with John the Baptist? A root of bitterness is the title of this evening's lesson. It is a figure of speech which has to do with those who are a corrupting influence. It can be found in Deuteronomy 29.18, Hebrews 12.15. I use this metaphor in relation to John in the following way. Had John chosen to be resentful of our Lord's popularity, how harmful to our Lord and his message that might have been. Can you imagine the influence such behavior fueled by envy and bitterness would have had on all those who were loyal to John? If instead of John pointing others to Christ, he had turned them away with lies and falsehoods, this kind of behavior could have had such an evil influence as it spread from one follower of John's to another. Thank God that John was not such a man. Thank God that John was a man with no envy. That's our lesson for this evening. We now offer an invitation. If you're here this evening and you have never put Christ on in baptism, if you're here and you believe that Jesus is the Christ who died for your sins and you're willing to confess him as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins and be immersed, we are ready and willing to help you with that this evening. We're ready and willing to do that with you. Perhaps you're here and you're a brother or sister in Christ. 
and there is something on your heart tonight and you need our prayers and support. Whatever your need is this evening, won't you let us know what that is as together we stand and sing our hymn of invitation. We have